Well, good evening to everyone tonight. So blessed to have you here on this fine Sunday evening. Thank you, Tom, for the wonderful presentation and just the clarity there. And again, if there's any questions or something that is unclear in your mind, see uh, one of the TBC um, Finance Committee members. You can also see an elder, so see me afterwards if you would like, or I see Don back here or Larry, and we would uh, love to field any question in the best way we can. Well, in our recent Sunday morning services, Pastor Farrell has taken us through several lessons in Colossians chapter 3, and it's been most helpful to me, and I trust to you as well. And that's been on the topic of biblical practice of replacements. And much like Romans 6, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, teaches us that we are to set our minds on things that are above because we have died and our life is now hidden in Christ. And armed with this reality, we then renew our minds with these, what I would say, union with Christ truths renewing our mind of what we have in Christ in his death and resurrection, how we as well have died and risen again in newness of life, and then get to work on putting off the old nature and putting on the new, this biblical practice of replacements. And this is much of what living the life of progressive sanctification is like, isn't it? It's putting off. It's putting on. It's renewing our minds. It's reminding ourselves who we are in Christ, our identity, and then living that out in the power of the Spirit in our actions and our decisions and how we live our lives for the glory of God, being conformed more and more in the image of His Son. This is all about change. Change. That can be a scary word sometimes, can it? Change. Change can be difficult. Change can be uncertain. Change can be slow. It sometimes feels very slow in spiritual change, and change does not come easy. I'm going to take you back to a day a few decades ago in Sweden. On September 3, 1967, there was a day remembered as Dagen H, or what's called H Day. And that H stands for a Swedish word that means right-hand traffic. H-Day was the day that Sweden changed from driving on the left side of the road to the right side, the normal side, the right side, as I'll say. <laughs> the neighboring countries of Norway and Finland were already driving on the right side of the road, and with millions of border crossings uh, every day, uh, the Swedish government felt it was best to make this change, even though it was not popular with their people. And to facilitate the change, they made a number of preparations. There was a four-year education program. This was enacted along with a campaign advertising and milk cartons and all kinds of commemorative items to advertise the coming of this big switch. There was even a song contest about this change with the winning song entitled, Keep It to the Right, Svensson. Svensson's a popular name in Sweden. If we were going from the right to the left here, it might be Keep It to the Left, Johnny, or something like this, right? A total, in all these preparations, a total of 350,000 road signs were changed. There were intersections that were reshaped 
You can imagine what we went through out here, if you remember. You can imagine that around the country. Road markings were repainted. And then came Dagen H, Sunday, the 3rd of September, 1967. And here was the rule. All non-essential traffic was banned from the roads from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. that day. All vehicles on the road had to do this. This is all getting coordinated with a country and busy cities like Stockholm. They all had to come to a complete stop at 4.50 p.m. Stop your car, wherever you are, all right? And then carefully change from the left side of the road to the right side and stop. And the rule was you had to stop for 10 minutes until 5 o'clock. You had to stay there. And why? Well, they were trying to avoid head-on collisions, of course. So all this was taking place very choreographed, very carefully, very planned. And you can imagine the confusion that ensued at that moment. All right? Here's a famous picture of Dagen H when it all occurred. I don't know if this was Stockholm, but a famous picture. And if you can see the detail there, you'll see cars on the left side and the right side in all different kinds of places. You see, if you, even if you look at the parked cars on, on the left side of the road in this picture, they're all parked in the wrong direction, so you can imagine trying to get out when the traffic was already moving, and I think there's more people on the streets than cars, and lots of people with cameras. But needless to say, this could probably be the poster child of change is hard, right? And history shows that despite the confusion and difficulty of the, and the expense that was involved, each day, each day was a success and their time and efforts paid off in 66 years and counting, it still seems to be working, even though I've never been there. Well, as it would naturally require the right kind of mindset for a change like this, lots of preparation, a period of time to get used to driving on the opposite side of the road, spiritually speaking, we all know, would all agree, that thinking and acting more like Christ just doesn't happen automatically or just in a matter of weeks or months as we conform ourselves to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Change, growth, maturity, sanctification, these occur over a period of time. And the Lord uses experiences in his word and obedience and our lessons from disobedience to produce this maturity in us. Change occurs over time. And tonight I would like to focus on the topic of developing God-honoring habits developing God-honoring habits. I had the privilege of teaching this to the Boundless group recently. I feel they probably need it again. I know my heart did. And they're going to hear it, and I trust it will be of help to you as it has been to me. A significant resource I used for this lesson, amongst others, was the book Heart and Habits by Greg Gifford. He is an associate professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University in Santa Clarita, California. Some of our boundless students here have had him over there at the Masters University and know him. And the ACBC certified counselors back in 2021 did a vote amongst themselves what was their best and most useful book that particular year, and this was voted as their top choice. So with that, I, tr I trust you'll get some benefit like I have in developing God-honoring habits and how we do that in this, this blessed privilege of repentance, of change, of mind renewal that leads to action renewal and change in our lives in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to talk about that in the terms of habits tonight. So we'll go over a few points before we get into some nuts and bolts. We'll first start here. Well, what are habits? What are habits? Uh, I think we all realize those are regular patterns of living that we all have, whether they're good habits or bad ones. But maybe we've never stopped to think for a moment the fact that God has created you as a habit uh, uh, with a capacity to develop habits in your life, a, develop, uh, a development of patterns in your life with an ability that God's given to us to develop habits, things we learn and things that we're not born with. We learn to do new things as a habit or a way of living, and we can also unlearn and change old patterns of living. It's a God-given habit capacity. It helps us to focus on important things and not get weighed down, wasting time on unlimited minutiae or the tasks of life and their details. And it's really how we function much during our day. I remember learning to tie my shoes as a young lad. I'm not a quick learner. It took me a while, and that was one of my big trials in my early days of life. And I'm sure I was telling my mom, Mom, can I just go slip-ons, sandals, bare feet, you know, something. And I'm sure my mom was thinking, going into stores, no shirts, no shoes, no service, no. You're going to learn to tie your shoes, Richard. Uh, And it took me a while. And I had to work at it. And without really thinking a whole lot about it, it eventually became a pattern in my life. And just think. Think of the wasted time of your life and mine if we always had to relearn tying our shoes each day. It would be laborious. It would be, it would be time consuming. I, I, would be, I would have been late for the service tonight or I'd be preaching in bare feet because uh, I would still be tying my, trying to learn to tie my shoes at home. So whether it's buttoning your shirt or driving your car, typing on a keyboard, walking, brushing your teeth, reading, riding a bike, these are regular practices we have learned that have become second nature, right? So you could call, call a habit something like this. It's a regular, frequent practice that seems almost second nature, right? And another way you could say that here is a usual or customary manner of behavior. It's a custom. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's something built into our lives, right? We understand that with the daily role of life. But when we get into moral habits. I think John Owen said it well, the great English Puritan theologian, when he said, moral habits are nothing but strong and firm dispositions and inclinations unto moral acts and duties of their own kind, as righteousness or temperance or meekness. I mean, think about what John Owen said here. Moral habits, things you do with regularity that are godly and good. You don't have to think arduously to do them, but you've incorporated them into your life. And what are they? They're strong and firm dispositions and inclinations. Things I've heard from the Word, things I've believed from the Word, convictions I've developed in my heart from the Word, and then the outflow of that are these same dispositions and inclinations unto moral acts and duties of their own kind. They're consistent. It's much like what Michael Duncan was teaching us this morning. As I marinate in certain things in my mind, it affects how I live out my life. 
And moral habits come from good thinking habits, heart change habits, and they go hand in hand. And there are godly, obviously many godly habits in the Bible. I think of Daniel when he would pray three times a day facing Jerusalem with the windows open. And it says there he had done this many times, and even when there were adversaries seeking to undo him with their newfound law prohibiting prayer. Remember Paul, when he would preach and go from town to town, he, it says in the scriptures he made it his custom to go into the local synagogue. This was a pattern. When he entered a new town, he wasn't thinking, well, where's the local stadium or you know, where's, where's, a, where, where's the local handout, hangout or the marketplace? His first thought was getting into the synagogue where he had the ability to go in as a Jew and then he would preach to the Jews. It was a custom of his. Jesus himself visited certain places regularly to accomplish specific tasks. In Luke 22, 39, it says, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Much of Jesus' teaching ministry, his prayer ministry, was at the Mount of Olives, and he made that his custom. In Luke 5, 16, and a number of different places in the Gospels, it talks about Jesus' prayer life, how he prayed. And when Jesus prayed, what would he normally do? Well, in Luke 5, 16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And we see instances of that in Matthew and Mark and Luke, where Jesus made his pattern of prayer a certain way, a customary way, in order to be effective and have communion with his Father. There are also ungodly habits in the Bible, as you can imagine. The Apostle Peter's second letter was written to expose false teachers. And they were infiltrating the churches, and there he wrote in 2 Peter 2.14, speaking of the false teachers, he said, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed trained in greed. They were teachers that were not shepherds that were there for the welfare of God's people. They trained themselves to do their ministry on their terms for the good of themselves. They trained themselves in greed. It was all about them and not about the Lord and others. Well, we know all too well that it's not only false teachers that practice sinful patterns. We too have sinful habits, don't we? In the old self, this flesh we still live in, in this Genesis 3 world, has been trained in various sin patterns, and you and I have yielded to various deceitful desires in our lives. Yielding to the old nature has trained us to unrighteous ways of living, and so in the process of sanctification, recognize when you do this, recognize unholy patterns of living, then by faith we confess, forsake, and put on new patterns of living. So as we look at developing God-honoring habits, we want to look at this as well, that godly habits are a building block of spiritual character formation. They're a building block of spiritual character formation. Uh, I'm going to be turning to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 here. I'll show it, uh, well, I'll actually show it to you right here, and that'll make it easier for you. 
Look at 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, because as we're thinking about developing godly patterns and habit patterns, there may be the temptation to think, well, that sounds like a lot of human effort. Aren't we supposed to be grace-dependent, spirit-enabled, God-empowered in how we live for him? And Oh, is that true? And yet, I think we'll see in this passage and the following verses that it is, in fact, his divine power, as I read that first verse there, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It is his divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's his power. It's his enablement. He has changed us. We're new creations. We have the Spirit of God. And as Pastor Farrell has been teaching us, we now have the power not to sin. And we have all things we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, granting us his very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, think that through. His divine power, it's everything we need. We cannot do it without him. We must abide in Christ, and without him we can do nothing. And yet look where Peter takes it in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort effort. What is he looking at? What is is he going back to for this very reason? Because of his divine power, because of all things he's granted to us for life and godliness, what is he saying here? These are the reasons we make every effort now to pursue him, to institute godly habits and patterns of living with great effort. We oftentimes look at God's power as a reason, well, I don't need to try hard. And Peter is saying, we have God's power for you to try hard. <laughs> this, he, he has enabled us to have grace-filled effort in our desire to be more like Christ on this side of eternity. The Greek word there used to make every effort is an, uh, can be said like this. It's an eagerness to do something with the implication of readiness to expend energy and effort. Back in my junior high, high school days, I was not large enough to play football. I would have loved to have been one of those big guys. And my mom wouldn't let me play football either. And um, it used to be, we, we had a good football team in the town I was raised in. And um, They had a saying there that they would write on the locker room walls, blood makes the grass grow. And it would have been growing really well if I had been on the team uh, because of my blood out there. So I went to track and cross country, non-contact sport, and um, I was not very good at it. I was just running and they put me in the long jump. And for me, it was the short jump, okay? Like, Like there were cement blocks on my feet. And, you know, I was for a while there on the team enjoying it not enjoying it at times, and um, I was a team member, but I really wasn't much of a contributor. I didn't have a lot of talent. And I think it was watching my brother excel, who was a little bit older than me, that, you know, I would like to do better. And finding the right event, which ended up being long distance for me, and working at it made all the difference in the world. I worked and trained myself to excel I decided I didn't want just a participation trophy. I started 
training extra on my own time, watching my diet, working on my sleep, a different kind of mental focus. It's much like what 1 Timothy 4.7 says, that was, you know, in that we train ourselves for godliness, that gymnasio, that, that working for, uh, to, to excel. And you see the same thought here as Peter takes us to verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Practice, effort, all based on the divine enablement that God gives us at salvation. So what, why am I going over this? I'm just reminding ourselves, as we talk about habit development, it is grace-fueled effort. It is divine enablement. But it, it, no, it is no doubt an effort that's required on our part. One more thing about, before we get to the nuts and bolts of God-honoring God habits, is godly habits help shape our desires. Godly habits help shape our desires. We need to realize that your doing influences your desires. Your doing influences your desires. Let me take you to a passage of Scripture you're familiar with in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now we know the passage to say, and we often rightly interpret this, that Jesus teaches your doing for the kingdom of God is indicative of where your heart is for the things of the kingdom. What's important to you, what your heart is fixed on, where your mind is, it generates a heart that comes out with where you put your treasures. But think of this another way. Realize here that your doing also influences your heart's desires. Where your treasure is, there your heart is too. Your doing affects the way your heart responds. They do go hand in hand. Your pursuits in life, for better or worse, contribute to the molding of your heart. What you actually do influences your heart's desires. Rich Brown probably gets up in the morning, much like many of you, a little hazy, a little blurry in the mirror, looking and trying to figure out the day. My wife, Christy, usually gets the coffee pot running, and I get in the shower to get my body a little more alert. I'll tell you what, I'm not ready to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul right out the chute. I'll just be honest with you. That's not where my heart starts in the day. There are habits and patterns I need to get my heart in shape for the day that my treasures would be put in the right place. And that's time in prayer. It's time in the word. It's things we throughout, do throughout the day that help ourselves, and no doubt you guys have experienced these things as well. You might think of it as well. It's just your habit of investing yourself in the local church. You're here tonight. What a, praise God. You, uh, you were likely here this morning as well. Making Sundays a focus on the word and ministry. This consistent gathering, surely you've noticed in your life, the involvement in the church is a habit that naturally blesses you and others. Consistent attendance 
and, and participation in the, in the church shapes your heart for God to know his word better. It shapes your heart of obedience as you know God's plan for your life. Regular participation in the body shapes your heart for others as you hear other people's needs. Regular participation in the church as a good and godly habit shapes your heart that is encouraged when you serve others. Make no mistake about it, we must mold our hearts that our actions would do likewise, but make no mistake about it either. Our actions affect our hearts. And therefore, we'll go into some of the details of the elements of developing a godly habit. How do I get this routine of putting off, putting on, where some of the things that may be more difficult to do and are real battle today can become more natural in the Christian life? Still spirit-dependent? still divine-enabled, but in the making of every effort, we make it and incorporate that as a regular part of our Christian life. Now, I'm going to show you five different points here, okay? I'm going to go through each point at a time. I'll go back to them so you don't have to get them all written down now if you're taking notes. But in the acrostic of habit, we're going to look at five different things here. Elements of developing a godly habit. A heart directed toward God. Aim for a specific habit to develop. Build a pattern with frequency goals. Incorporate accountability and environmental controls and train through constant practice. Now, we'll go through those one at a time. But you might think, wow, I I haven't seen it put that way before. But really, if you look at this, if you have a godly habit in your life today, you've done this. As you've developed godly patterns of living and incorporated things in your life that are natural, how many of you had to struggle to come to church today? Well, for most of you, it's kind of like, well, that's what I do on Sunday. What a good and godly habit that I get up in the morning, and it's not a battle of whether I'm going to go or not. I've been there before. But God has matured me, and through grace-fueled efforts, he brought me to a point, not realizing it, following things like we see here in the elements of developing a godly habit, to make that a routine in my life. And many of you have done these things as well. So let's start looking at these one at a time. Elements of developing a godly habit and the heart directed towards God is where we start. A heart directed toward God. The target is the heart. God wants all your heart and nothing less. Now, a warning here. It is very easy in developing habits to make Christianity all about self-improvement. One of my required readings in engineering master's uh, school was Seven Habits of of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. 40 million copies sold, and many people found out with good effort and self-control you could become a highly efficient, productive, successful person that far surpasses all your goals and gains the admiration of the world. And in so doing, you'll miss the whole point of the life that God calls us to. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Another caution is we must not overemphasize habits that fuel self-righteous ways of living, pharisaical ways, moralistic living. In other words, good habits alone don't make us right with God. The heart is where we start. 
It's the control center of self that governs what we do. Your heart influences how you think and act. And therefore, we need to watch our hearts, our desires, our, our motivations. As we know in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Absolutely critical. And here at Timberlake, we emphasize the priority of the heart because the word emphasizes the heart. And so for heart change, you continue in your commitment to hearing God's truth under its faithful preaching and in your personal devotion to it. Continue to ask God to mold and change your desires to what pleases him. And as God changes our hearts, we're motivated to change and act. And as we act, it molds our hearts, as we spoke about in Matthew. It molds our hearts to act and obey by faith. And so by the work of the Spirit, proceeding from the heart to a God-dependent, truth-driven, grace-fueled effort on our part to change into his likeness, step by step. And this leads to our second letter in habit, in elements of developing a godly habit, and that's aim for a specific habit to develop. Aim for a specific habit to develop. You may ask, where do I start? Maybe in your life and at mine at times, it just feels like it's kind of burning down. Where do I go? Where is so many areas? I'm so much not like Christ in so many areas of my life. And where do I start? My whole life needs to change. And oh, it does. And one day it will be. I'm immature in many areas. And my encouragement today is for you to choose a specific area, a specific area for change. And as you learn from one, it'll help you with others. And Greg Gifford, in his book, he boils down life into categories, spheres or domains, if you will. We won't spend too much time here, but it just basically shows a structuring of how you might look at your life and the various responsibilities God puts before you. You can see at the foundation is spiritual priority, the spiritual sphere of your life. And the spiritual domain we exclusively are talking about here is how you relate to God and serve him better your time in the word and in prayer and service in the local church. When you get to the personal domain, we're talking about more in relation to yourself. Sleep habits, eating, time management, exercise, organization. And if you think about it, those are all spiritual activities for the believer, aren't they? These personal habits, though, as you think about them in this category, they have a profound effect on spiritual habits. They overlap each other, don't they? Replacing a habit of excessive social media or YouTube or TV with something more fruitful can revolutionize your spiritual life. And so there's a call to faithfulness in each of these areas that all have a spiritual dimension. There's the family domain of prioritizing your interactions with the family. Serving your family with your time and your commitment as a father and a wife and a parent in the various roles that God's assigned. Your school and vocational domain, showing up to work on time, honesty, your work ethic, a team player, good study habits, and the social domain, more community, friends, neighbors, coworkers, that particular domain. Now, you look at all that, and basically we see here, we're called to be faithful in all these areas, aren't we? One is not necessarily more important than the other, although I, we look at spiritual there, and it's certainly foundational to the rest of them. And what I would like us to do tonight is focus on developing a habit or you yourself zeroing in on one that you would like to develop in your life. 
And obviously you can see, I can be a better father to my family if I'm spending more time in the Word and prayer. I will be a better worker as I'm more dependent on God in my spiritual areas of my life. So that's what we're going to focus on tonight, although what we're going to explain here can apply to any of these spheres. And so we're going to start with a spiritual domain. What we're going to ask you to do is then choose a specific habit to develop. What's a spiritual habit that God has perhaps already identified in your life through the preaching of God's word, in your time in the fellowship of the saints here, that God's identified that you want to do and, and um, something you've already been convicted on, something that's always been, already been on your mind you want to improve. And surely we have all these in our minds, right? Choose one area, the spiritual sphere. You might look for examples of a godly habit like being more devoted to the local church. Maybe one of your goals this next year is that, that perhaps you haven't done before is attend a small group. I want to be more part of our body, and I'm going to commit my Wednesday evenings every other Wednesday to be in a small group. Maybe you want to know other church members better, so you greet new or regular attenders when you come to church. You make that something you want to regularly incorporate into your body life. If we think about devotion to the local church, maybe you want to identify and serve more consistently in a particular area an area of responsibility. Maybe your goal would be to have closer communion with God, so you boil that down to a more consistent time in word and prayer. We'll get down to more specifics with that in a few minutes. Getting more out of the sermons on Sunday mornings. Maybe you'd want to start the, the habit of taking notes. It's not a requirement, obviously, but maybe that's something you think would, hey, I could go back to that on Monday and Tuesday, and I can incorporate that in my devotions if I take some time and write some things down. Serving others, whether it's praying, mentoring, listening to others, hospitality, many ways we can develop a pattern in this spiritual area. So my, again, my encouragement is choose a specific habit to develop. So you probably got one or, or more in your mind. And then what I want you to do is think about this. Build a pattern for that particular habit with frequency goals. How often you're going to practice that habit. Frequency goals, all right? There's a regularity in any good habit you have in your life that was necessary in order to make it customary in the way you live. It required repetition. It must be done repeatedly. Don't dismiss this, so important. In fact, God, God recognizes this in the scriptures, doesn't he? You go back to the Old Testament and just the, the holy days or the Sabbath. In our New Testament, this church age, we meet regularly as God instructs us, as God's people on Sunday. We meet uh, for communion in that ordinance that God has commanded of us. And we do so so we don't forget what Jesus has done. Our giving is regular. So uh, these are important things to Think about in building a pattern and implementing and doing a chosen habit with frequency, developing a cadence. If we think about those domains or spheres of life for a moment, think of them like this. Let's say the spirit, spiritual habit of fellowship is a priority, something you want to develop more frequently in your life. Well, a frequency you might develop there is every church gathering, I will look for someone new 
introduce myself, and bring a friend with me and encourage this new visitor in our fellowship. But I'll do that every time the church gathers. That's the frequency. Maybe you have the personal, this personal sphere, the personal habit of physical exercise. I need a frequency, right? We all know spiritual exercise requires a consistency. And so I might say once a day, five days a week, for 30 minutes, I'll get on the treadmill. Maybe in the family sphere of communication. As a father, you might have been convicted. Wow, I, I want more Bible time, God talk interaction with my children. I do it, but I want to do it more consistently. And therefore, your frequency might be that at dinner time every night, I'll ask my children. And I'll ask them the question, what God's teaching them today, and be prepared to tell them what God's teaching me. But dinner time becomes your frequency. And we could go on to other different uh, areas here, but you get the idea. We have to be uh, doing this consistently and frequently and repetitiously to make it a habit. So don't miss that important step. Next step here in developing a, a godly habit is incorporate accountability and environmental controls. Accountability. We all know that growing in the Christian life is not a solo event, isn't it? It's not isolated. It can't happen in an isolated effort. And good and godly habits are helped by a community component. We need account accountability and encouragement from others. In my early married days with Christy, we were always late for church. We developed that habit during our college days when I would stop at her home to pick her up as I was her, and on Sunday morning, I'd have a nice breakfast fixed by her mom and get chatting with her dad, and we were always late to Sunday school. So we always sat in the front row in Sunday school as the last seats left, and they always knew Rich and Christy are here, and we'd get in there, and then this carried over in our married life, and I was starting to see that, you know, we're not getting as much out of church as we should. And I remember very clearly in Columbus, Ohio, driving across from one side of town to the other, we lived on one side, church on the other side, Sunday morning, late again. And I still remember on 70 West at the Broad Street exit. And I made, I just drove a stake in the ground. Christy, we, we got to get this right. And we made the goal that we were going to get up 30 minutes earlier on Sundays, which meant taking care of things on Saturday night. And we were going to leave 15 minutes earlier. And we got it down to the minute when that would be in order to get to worship service or Sunday school on time. And really, having that encouragement of Christy and us helping each other, we haven't looked back. In fact, I, look, I feel so out of place when I'm late now, and that's another spiritual issue I had to work on when things, my timing doesn't work out, right? But you, you, know, you know the gist of it here, what we're talking about. These are good and godly goals. These are things you guys are working on as well, and it helps to have someone help you. And then... Uh, Finally, as we think about accountability, there's also environmental controls. In other words, plan to succeed. Make sensible decisions on your surroundings that will not detract and not distract you from your work in this particular area. So if I want to improve my prayer for others, I think there's certain parts of our environment we naturally think that need to be controlled. And if you're like me, they are a constant hindrance. 
I need to find quiet, a quiet and isolated place. I remember during my, my work days when I was in another uh, company at one time, and uh, my lunch times, I would just go out and I would walk at a local park. And it was by myself. There were other people in public, but I was by myself and isolated, and I could pray. Remove distractions. Close the laptop. Put your phone in the drawer and put it on silent. Ask God to help you concentrate. Want to improve my prayer for others? Keep a prayer journal, a prayer request that helps you to remember, keep your mind focused, and keep your prayer time productive. Just ideas, thoughts, but think about just think about environmental controls and, and where you can control your environment to help you succeed. And finally, if we look at the last item here, and that's train through constant practice. Practice, practice, practice. You know I had to end with this, right? Um, if we look back at the previous uh, verse here in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Practice, practice, practice. Make a routine of this. Make it incorporated in your life. Work at it to make it something God would use. And if you look over here at Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. We can be more discerning. We can think rightly. We can act appropriately through constant practice and the spirit-filled, grace-filled efforts we've been talking about here. So in the end, these are elements of developing a godly habit. It's really putting off, putting on, and making the Christian life something that is God-honoring, habit-producing, customary in the way you live for the glory of God. I trust these elements here can help you as we continue to work through Romans and Colossians about putting off and putting on for the glory of God. Um, so with that, I trust that was a help to you and an encouragement. And with that, let's close in prayer. Father, what a blessing to open your word today and to be reminded of the blessed privilege of living for you. And Lord, we take, um, we take our walk with you seriously, Lord. You have purchased us with a great price, the blood of, the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we, we want our, our lives to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing in your sight. Lord, how I pray that these truths that we've been learning here at Timberlake through the, your faithful word, and tonight about developing godly habits, would be something that would encourage us to go after things that have perhaps dogged us for a while, perhaps bad habits that we need to put off and good ones as godly replacements. And Lord, give us a spirit-filled, grace-filled um, type of effort that you bless Lord, may we be all the better as we strive for Christ-likeness, as we learned this morning to be Christ-like in such a way that a lost and dying world sees us in our efforts to be like our Savior, and that they, they would take notice and not 
not seeing perfection, but progress in our life that just wants to be like you. How we pray, Lord, that you would impress those on our hearts, help us to apply the things we've learned, and may you be glorified, and may our church just shine all the brighter in this community and throughout the world, shining forth the gospel and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.